Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. I want to talk to you today about the great things that God has done. This week, we have stopped in many ways and we have given thanks, right, for what God has done for us. We have given thanks for the blessings that He has given us. God was gracious to me and my family. We were able to get away for just a little while. And uh, some of our extended family joined us. Leslie's family came. And uh, we were able to give thanks together. There was only about two crosswords. I give the Lord praise for that, don't you? (laughs) You know the way holidays can be. And, uh, you know, to be able to get together and, and just share that time and give thanks to the Lord for what He has done and to recognize it in our lives. Think up again of all the blessings that God has given us. He has given us friends. He has given us family members. He has given us a church family. He has given us the resources, the roof over our head, the shoes on our feet. Everything that we have is a gift from above. We give thanks to Him for the blessings that He has provided for us. We know that He has done great things. Today I want you to see two stories, though, that particularly speak to us about the spiritual blessings He has brought, about how He has allowed us to come to the feast and to eat of the feast, how He has proclaimed the feast to us, He has invited us and He has given us ears to hear so that we can respond. Mark chapter 7, Jesus, in the very beginning of this chapter, He comes into conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes. That's no surprise to those of us who have studied Scripture we know that Jesus often lived in conflict with the religious leaders. Particularly, he spoke to them about their hearts and their ritualism. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had complained that Jesus' disciples did not wash their hands enough. Sound like some parents? But particularly, that they would not wash their hands in a ritual manner before they would eat. And they complained about this. Actually, I think it's in verse 2. It says that they found fault. Don't you love those kind of people that come into your life? Those who find fault. And Jesus, he uses this opportunity to just remind them that it's not what enters from without that defiles a man. It is what comes from within. Hey, how blessed are we especially as we reflect back on Thanksgiving week, that we're thankful that it's not what comes into the mouth that defiles us, right? But rather, it is what is in the heart. And Jesus tells them that. He said, you're so caught up on the outside that you forgot about the inside. You are so caught up with your ritual that you have forgotten the heart. So Jesus has come into conflict. He's expressed this to those religious leaders. He's tried to teach his disciples this concept as well. And then it says in verse 24 that he withdraws. You'll see this in Jesus' ministry. There are just times when maybe he's come in conflict with other people. He just has to get away. He just has to remove himself from the situation. And he goes on this journey for the very first time in his ministry, and the only time that I can locate in Scripture, that he goes outside of Israel proper. This is the story that we have given to us, beginning in verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. 
And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. So again, Jesus decides he's going to get away, withdraw. He literally withdraws from Israel proper, the territory of Israel. He goes to this area of Tyre and Sidon. And as he goes up, he goes into a house and he thinks, you know, maybe nobody will find me here. You ever had those moments where you just kind of wanted to get away? He said, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll just find a quiet place here. But what we've already been told in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 3, verse 8, we've already been told that the multitude of folks from Tyre and Sidon had already come down to hear Jesus. They had already heard about him. The word was spreading. His fame was going throughout the region. So when he's there, the word begins to slip out that Jesus is in the house. Again, Mark has reminded us of other times where Jesus was there trying to find privacy, but the crowd found him. He could not be hidden. Verse 25. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So here he is in this foreign land, pagan land, and this woman who has this little daughter who is being afflicted by some demonic influence, she comes to Jesus. She knows Jesus has the power. Again, notice the faith. She knows Jesus can do something, so she comes to Jesus. But we're told this about her. We're told that she was a Greek, a Syrophoenician. Now, that may not speak so much to us today, but in the New Testament day, especially as Mark is writing to this Gentile audience, It spoke volumes. Think about this moment. A Greek. Alexander the Great had come through. Oh, you didn't know you were going to get a world history lesson, did you? (laughs) Alexander the Great had come through Tyre and had defeated it in his great conquest of the known world. And in that time, he basically introduced Greek elements, Greek culture to that whole area, the whole empire in a sense. They were Hellenized. Hellenized. You like that word? I'll leave it there, all right? They were Hellenized. They were Hellenistic. They were Greek kind of people. And this woman, she had accepted all the culture of the Greeks. Most likely, she worshipped their gods. Most likely, she had adopted their practices. This was what kind of woman. And then, if it's not enough, the Scripture tells us that she is a Syrophoenician. From the area of Syria, which again had lived in conflict over and over with Israel... And she is a Phoenician by her ancestry. The Phoenicians. They were known. They were known as being, again, enemies of Israel. If you were to go back, especially on the Sidonian side, if you were to go back and trace it all the way back, you would find a certain individual in that lineage. Her name would be Jezebel. You heard of her? Did you ever think about naming your daughter Jezebel? No. Why not? Because as she is revealed to us in the scripture, she is a woman that is evil, a woman who stands antithetical toward God and toward his people, is standing against God's kingdom. We see it especially in her relationship with the prophet Elijah. This is Jezebel. 
So all of these images are coming to mind. Think of this. This woman who has adopted the Greek practices and probably God's, who traces her lineage all the way back to the Phoenicians, the same people from which Jezebel had arisen. And this is a woman from the area of Syria. May we just say this is an outsider? She's not like us. She's, she's different from us. Well, I see you need a little something to kind of help you get involved in this message, okay? So let me just stop and give you a story, okay? Let, let, me, let me tell you about how some of us can kind of come together in our communities and we see others as outsiders. I remember when I went down to South Mississippi and I was pastoring there and I was going through the roles, just kind of looking, you know, it was a manageable role where I could look at different people and try to find out who was around and maybe people that had been on the roles and maybe active in the church at some time, but now they had kind of fallen away. That happens, it seems like, too often in our churches. So I found the name of this family, the Grubbs. The Grubbs. Now, South Mississippi, Picayune. I was um, about five or six hours away from Tupelo, somewhere in there. But I knew some grubs from North Mississippi, and I thought, well, that'll be a starting point to be able to talk to them, you know, to just kind of open up the conversation, the dialogue. So I went over, and I saw Gerald and Charlotte, and I began talking with them. And they said, yeah, we did join the church, you know, there. He said, do you know what was weird? What was weird, Brother Reggie, when we moved down here? I said, what was that? They said, well, we were coming down, and we had found the house we wanted to buy. And uh, we went to the people, we approached them, we talked to them, and they agreed to sell us the house. So we thought everything was good until the neighbors found out. The neighbors found out we were from North Mississippi. And the neighbors came and begged that they would not sell this house to the outsiders from North Mississippi. Now I understand the North, South, Mississippi. I hate to tell you, we're about all the same. I hate to tell you that. He said, yeah, it was so tough, you know. Now we did get in the church, but it was still kind of like outsiders because they had just kind of come together and said, the, the guy though, the guy was true to his word. He said, I'd shaken on this, I'd made a deal, I'm selling the house. So I sold the house. said, but we always kind of felt like outsiders. Thank you for not making me feel like an outsider in Ruston. <laughs> I always tell people, you know, I wasn't born here, but I got here as soon as I could. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> this woman was an outsider. She couldn't have just walked in to Israel without people taking notice. And especially she had begun to kind of talk about her background and who she was. There would have been all kinds of consequences, social consequences for her. So Mark sets it up for us so perfectly. He says, this is the outsider of all outsiders. The Greek Syrophoenician woman. Matthew calls her the Canaanite. She's so different from the people of Israel. But she's begging him. The scripture says that she keeps asking. It's like a continuous request for her daughter. 
Jesus, would you do something? Jesus, she's tormented. Jesus, she's terrified. Jesus, she is broken. Jesus, she needs help. Won't you do something? And then Jesus responds in a very strange way. Look at verse 27. Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. That seems so strange coming out of the mouth of Jesus. I mean, Jesus just basically looked at this woman and called her a little dog, a puppy. That's what he did. Now, unfortunately, there are all kinds of interpretations of this passage out there, interpretations that are unbiblical and untrue. You ought to go and just Google. I decided last night I would just Google some of this. And I don't know why. Google does not usually help my spiritual life. <laughs> usually it does not help me grow at all, but I did. I Googled it. I said, let me just kind of look at some. And I began reading. I even found this article, this political article about how a certain political party would have to learn from the Syrophoenician woman. It was five years ago or so that it was printed. I was like, whoa, what? You've done what? And I began reading the article where it said that this woman helped to teach Jesus his mission and how he should reach out to other people. Now, I did go to the best seminary in all of the Southern Baptist Convention, the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And we did use technical terms most of the time. But let me tell you what my seminary training would tell me about those people that would try to interpret this in that way, in trying to say that this Syrophoenician woman was teaching Jesus about his mission. You know what the word I would use? Hogwash. <laughs> Very theologically sophisticated word, okay? Jesus did not have to be educated or informed about his mission. Jesus, did every, Jesus went beyond the barriers of culture and race and geography. Jesus reached into all different areas for the kingdom. Verse 27, what does he mean by this? Well, I think that it is in context of all of chapter 7. I believe that he is looking at his disciples in a sense because he's been trying to teach them, right? He was teaching them that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles, but it's what comes out of the heart. And all of these Jewish leaders, they, they felt like they had the market on God and his expectations. So Jesus kind of says this. He says it in front of them. Hey, oh yeah, isn't it true that the children come first and then, then you have the dogs? You know, that's the way the Jewish mind looked at the Gentiles as dogs. He says, isn't that what we've been taught? Isn't that what everyone here has understood for all of these years? And then verse 28. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs, even the puppies under the table, eat from the children's crumbs. 
said, you're right. We're outsiders. But even the outsiders are able to enjoy the crumbs from the table. And then Jesus said this, look. For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Let me, let me give you this truth from this story. Jesus has prepared a feast and we get to eat from it. Now think about it. You say, whoa, hold on. That seems strange. There's no feast here. There's no... No, no. Hear this. Jesus has prepared a feast, a banquet, and we get to eat from it. When you talk about the great things that he's done, I want you to think about this for a moment. Because what is Jesus doing in this passage? Jesus is offering the kingdom. Jesus is extending grace and mercy to the Gentiles. Don't miss it. This is where Jesus is actually going beyond race, going beyond nation, and he is offering blessing and work to the humility of this woman. She says, even, even we outsiders, even we outsiders deserve some crumbs, or, or maybe not deserve, that's not a good word. Even we can get the crumbs. I'd be happy with the crumbs. Think about that. Crumbs from the king's table. Be just happy. But Jesus didn't give her crumbs, did he? No, 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 no. He showed her what feasting in the kingdom's all about. When he brought healing, when he brought release to that little daughter. That wasn't, those weren't crumbs. God had worked in a magnificent and wonderful way. This week, Again, many of us, as we gathered with families, we had full tables. Full tables. Hey, Thanksgiving may be one of my favorite holidays of the year. Because you know there, there will be a full table. Although I will say that around here in most of our holidays, we always have full tables. But there's so many different things you can enjoy and you can eat. Not only at that one meal, but... You just bring out the leftovers and they're, they're still great, right? That you can enjoy together. And that you are able to come around the table as family and friends and just enjoy it in that fellowship. It's a tremendous moment. Within the New Testament, there are several passages that will refer to the kingdom as like this banquet or being invited to this banquet. Of coming to the table. What this tells me is that we have invite, been invited. We can come to the table and eat. Think about how big of a deal that is. Think how big of a deal this is. Because if you and I were to really kind of go back and look at the New Testament and understand what Jesus was doing in the kingdom, we would see that there was a people that God was using, the people of Israel, those we refer to as children. And yes, the gospel went to them first. I got you. The gospel did go to them first. 
But the gospel did not just stay with the Jewish people. The gospel went forth into all of the world. What a blessing. Do you understand that if it had been contained to the land of Israel, to the Jewish people, you and I would be without hope today. There would be no Temple Baptist Church here on this interstate. There would be no gathering of fellowship here if the gospel had only resided with one people. But God had prepared a feast. And through Jesus, we're able to come to the table and eat. And may I say this. Unfortunately, over the last few months and years, we have continued to see this ungodly spirit in our nation where races are pitted against races and one race is supposed to be superior over another. Let me say to you that that is unbiblical. That is unfounded. There is no race superior to any other race. There is one race and it is the human race. And we all need to be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we were to think about it, we were the outsiders. All of us, we were the outsiders. And Jesus brought us to the table. All of us could have been like the Greek Phoenician woman. We could have all traced our lineage back. We could have all talked about the customs that had so entangled us and strangled us spiritually. But Jesus not only gave us crumbs... He gave us the kingdom. He allowed us to come to the table and eat. He has done great things. Let me give you this next story very quickly. Because I think it just complements the first story. It says, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. So he makes this northern swing and then he comes over east to Decapolis to this area of the ten cities, this Gentile region again. It says, They brought to him who, one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. So get this. This individual comes. He's deaf. He has a speech impediment according to this translation. And Jesus, well, he puts his finger in his ear, in the man's ear, and then he spits and he places upon his tongue. So this week when we were alone, look, I was just, I, I needed some conversation. You weren't there, all right? So I got Rhett, my nine-year-old, and I said, hey, let me, tell you, let me show you what Jesus did to this man. He's like, what? I said, here. He put his hand, finger in his ear. He, did, he thought I was giving him a wet willy or something. I think that's what he was working <laughs> So I was showing it because it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of strange, right? He, the ear, the, the spit, the, the tongue. There are those that say, well, this was the healing practice of the day. Saliva had a healing kind of attribute. I hate to say that. Boys and girls don't spit on each other <laughs> for the healing nature of it. Do not do that. But some would say that that's kind of what it was like. I think personally it was kind of like sign language to the guy. 
I think he was trying to tell him what he was doing. He's like, hey. And it says that he looked toward heaven. And he spoke in his native tongue, Ephrathah. Be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed. And he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed. So here he, he brings healing. It says that his hearing he is restored. He, he can hear. His ears, his auditory nerves are functioning. His ears are open. Now look, that is a physical healing. I know that. I do not doubt the historicity of this at all. And I don't want to stretch it too far in the spiritual realm, but I want to say this, that I think when you put all this together, the context of chapter 7, and you get here, I think also what Jesus is showing us is that He has spiritually opened our ears. Spiritually opened the ears of the Gentiles. Because this whole passage to me is kind of like Acts chapter 10. You know where... God speaks to Peter and he tells him that there is nothing unclean. And Peter goes to Cornelius' house and the Gentiles come to salvation. There are so many similarities here. And here in this passage, it's almost like he says, Hey, there's a feast. The feast has been prepared. You can eat. And now the feast is being proclaimed to invite you, to call you. And you can hear. You can hear the proclamation to come. It's kind of like... It's kind of like Jesus is ringing the dinner bell. Come eat. You can hear now. I don't care what kind of theological camp you're in. Let me tell you that as Southern Baptists, we have always believed that God must make the first move in our heart for salvation. We've always believed that. We believe that the Holy Spirit has to come into our life and convict us of sin Really remove all the impediments so we can hear truly the word of salvation. Remember, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. What God has done is he has opened the ears of the Gentiles. And again, how grateful should we be for that? That His Spirit would strive with us and open our hearts, open our ears. As a 12-year-old boy watching a baptism one Sunday night at church, after hearing the gospel over and over in my life, it was like that night my ears were truly opened. My eyes could truly see. And the Spirit of God just dwelt he stirred within me. And I remember the conviction that was so strong that there was not, really, there was no way I could escape it. Oh, I went home that night and I wrestled with it for days. But the conviction of God was upon my heart. And eventually I surrendered. And I gave my life to Christ to follow Him. I've not always been there for him, but he has always been there for me. 
There have been days where I have slipped. There have been days where he has extended the hand. And I say to you, it is because God opens our ears. See, that's what he was trying to teach his disciples. As a matter of fact, back up in chapter 7, verse 14, he had said, Hear me, everyone, and understand. See, the context says he's opening the ears of the Gentiles. The more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed. He said, hey, don't go out and tell everybody yet. My time has not come, obviously, is what he's saying. This is the messianic secret, they call it, that there was a time when everybody would know and the ministry of Jesus would be complete. John tells us like this. He always talks about the hour that is to come. So he says, don't do it yet, but guess what? They, could, they just couldn't help themselves. They could not help themselves but to tell what Jesus had done. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And I say to you, when you've experienced the, the astonishing work of God in your life, when you have been invited to the feast, you're, you hear the invitation and you respond by sitting down at the table and beginning to enjoy. Hold on just a moment. What a feast. You think your feast at Thanksgiving was great? Think about pulling up to the table of God for a moment. And you know what you can feast on the most? Jesus himself. The bread. Oh, I loved it this week when I was able to walk through the house and I could smell the cooking. I could smell the bread in particular. Think about the smell and the aroma of the bread. The taste. And think for a moment that is Jesus which satisfies our lives. If you've experienced that, what do you want to do? You want to tell other people about it. Some people have called evangelism one beggar telling other beggars where the bread is. You just got to tell them. Hey, you need to pull up to the table. You got to try this. You got to come. Let me tell you what he's done for me. How I was lost, but now I'm saved. How I was blind, but now I can see. How I was deaf, but now I can hear. He has done great things. You tell them. When you go out into this community, when you go to your family, when you gather even in the next few days for Christmas holidays, you tell them. You tell them that He has done great things. And He has done great things for us. Not just physically. Not just for our children. Not just for our grandchildren. Not just for the food. But He has done even greater things spiritually. By providing us a feast and allowing us to sit at the table. You tell what God has done. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning. And how can we begin? How can we begin to show our gratitude for you for the great things that you have done? God, you have saved us. You've reached into the world itself and you've brought us to salvation. People who did not deserve it, 
People who were alienated, people who were outsiders, you saved us. May we respond to that salvation with immense praise and adoration and exaltation of you. And God, may we tell others. May we tell them what has taken place in our lives. God, I pray for that one which is lost, that, Lord, this morning you've opened the ears. I pray that that conviction would fall and that they would feel you pressing their hearts and lives, that they would respond to you. And, Father, for those of us who are saved, may we just simply show you gratitude. We pray it. We ask it. We implore it. In the name above all names, the name of Jesus. For his sake.